The technology of communication has changed the art of communication. And it's created a new, but not necessarily improved, way in which people who own smartphones communicate with each other. Now, when I was in college, this was way back 100 years ago, I wrote letters once a month to my mom and dad because they wanted to know what was going on in my life. So I was in Canada. They were in Washington. I would write a letter. I would take it and give it to the mail person in Canada. They would take their dog sled up to the U.S. border and give it to a guy on a horse. And he would ride that horse to my mom and dad's house and deliver the, the letter. Two weeks is what it took for the letter to get there. It took two weeks for their response to get back to me. And so in my college days, my mom and dad, they wanted to know what was going on, but they never knew the current event. What they knew was history. Two weeks later, it's history. Now, when my oldest son, Justin, went off to college, he had a really nice computer. He also had a nice phone. And on that computer and on that phone, he, had, he could instantly send us a message and say, hey, mom and dad, everything's great, I'm fine, uh, everything's going good, please send money. He could have done something like that. Because, you know, email and texting, boom, 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 just quick, fast, quick. I would have to send him, after a month of silence, a little note, and it would say, hey, your mom wants to know if you're still okay. Notice I used the mom card. That gets them every time. There's a special connection between kids and their mom, which is pretty natural. And, and, And so they're like, oh, Oh, mom, you gave birth to me and everything, so I'm going to... And so shortly after that, he would contact us and let us know how life was. I mean, it would only take 10 minutes of his day to do that, but it took that little message. Now, you know, okay, so that was quite a while ago when he went off to college. So after all of these years of our kids growing up, leaving the home, being mature, and, and growing in all these ways, you would think... That, that their communication with us would have grown with their maturity. Not so. Still today, hey, are you alive? Little text. Yeah, why? What's going on? Haven't heard from you in a month? Oh, you know, they're 30-something now. And they still need to be reminded to contact mom and dad. I mean, okay. My boys are the worst. So, Leela's the best. Carissa's like second best, and then Tyson and Justin way down there. So, you know, but, but the thing about this whole technology is that it hasn't just given us the opportunity to improve family communications or communication with other people, but it's actually changed the way in which we communicate. We've gone from using full sentences and having good English Uh, sentence structure in our communication, now we've just relegated it to a whole bunch of letters and numbers that if for the uninformed person would look like somebody who was texting, made a mistake in their texting and just 
text garbly gook. So, I want you to take a communication test this morning with me. Because texting and chatting through abbreviations have almost created a whole new dialect in our language. And if you can't tell your BRBs from your LOLs, then you need a translator to help you. And so this morning we're going to take a little test, and so there's going to be some things coming up on the screen. Now listen, I've, I've kind of started it off. We've, we're doing the easy ones first, and that's for the old people. Okay? So you youngsters, give the old folks a little chance to answer the question, and then we'll move into more difficult ones, okay? So here we go. Let's get the first ones up there. ASAP. Nice. TTFN. She's too young to be saying that. How about TTYL? All right. WRU. Uh-huh. LOL? Look at you guys. BFF. BF? All the girls knew that one. All right. So those were pretty easy. We're going to move on to something maybe a little more difficult. So here we go. Hang on. R-O-T-L-F. Unbelievable. Peeps? Yeah, peeps. Your peeps are your people. All right. MSG. No old people. It's not something that's in your food. Message. LMK. There you go. CM. Call me. How about this? CL CSL. Can't stop laughing. How about C U L eight R? See you later. IDK. Okay, very good. DM. Uh-huh. And, of course, L-8-R. There you go. All right. That was intermediate. Now we're going to go to the more difficult ones. <laughs> and I'm telling you right now, I, these next ones, I didn't make these up. I had to look them up, but I didn't make them up. So here's the first one. 1-4-A-A-4-1. How did you know that? <laughs> Unbelievable. All right. Parents, these next ones, you need to know these. Okay? P911. Parent alert. <laughs> PAL. Parents are listening. <laughs> PAW. Parents are watching. PIR. Parents in room. Here's the next one. POS, and it's not what you think. <laughs> it's not what you think. Close. Parent over shoulder. All right. C, um, let's see. I C Y M I. Who said that? Teachers. Millennial teacher, of course. All right, C-P. Gotcha. Sleepy. Everybody knows that. Come on. All right, so here's two now 
that I don't think you're going to get. Matter of fact, the next one that comes up here, if you get it, I'll give you 20 bucks. It might be in check form, but it'll still be worth 20 bucks. <laughs> if you get this, S-V-B-E-E-V. Twenty, twenty-five, thirty, <laughs> thirty-five, forty, fifty bucks. Nope, no can do. All right. This is where I cheated. Okay, those are abbreviation letters are in Latin. See, I told you. And here's what it means in Latin. It means if you are well, it is good. I am well. And what would happen? And this was first century. So first, think about this. In the first century. People who were writing letters, this was such a common um, signing off. It's kind of like at the end of your letter, you would put this on there. But everybody knew that S-V-B-E-E-V stood for that. So they didn't have to spell it out. Everybody, when you saw that, they're going like, oh, yeah, that means if you are well, I am well, all is good. Or it is good, I am well, whatever it is. But that, so here's the funny thing about it, okay? So everything that we've thought we've been really cute and funny and creative in creating these abbreviations in the last five years, it's 2,000 centuries old. We're not, it's like, it's like King Solomon said, there is nothing new under the sun. We've just refined it a little bit because we're tired of using full-length words, LOL. All right, here's the next one. Man, I got to watch how I do this one because I get, every time I say it, I kind of scramble it up and it sounds really bad. So I've got, because I'm dyslexic, I'm going to put some of these letters in the wrong order and it's going to, so let's get, keep that in mind. Okay. F W F T T. No takers? Okay. Fellow workers for the truth. Now, both of those last two, they're going to come right out of our passage that we're studying today. That's the crazy part. And, and, and they're really important. And so what I want you to know as we step into, and this is our last sermon on John's letters to the church. And so what I want you to know as we step into the sermon is today you're going to meet three characters out of John's last letter to the church. And... and I want you to get to know these guys because these guys are still in the church. Maybe not by the same name, but by character. These three guys are still in the church. So the three guys that we have, there's a man named Gaius, who the letter is written to. John wrote the letter to Gaius. Another man named um, Diotrephes. And the third individual named Demetrius. These three men... There are all three kinds of people within our church. And so I want you to identify with one of these guys today. I want you to think about, maybe it is that you can't necessarily identify with them, but maybe there's something God's telling you and speaking to your heart where you're saying, I need to be more like that guy, or I need to be less like that guy. And so we're going to, we'll get right into it right away. So the first one we're going to talk about is the is a man named Gaius. And this is one of three men in the New Testament named Gaius. And Gaius actually was a very famous or common name. So I'm just telling you, any of you who are planning to have children in the near future, you know, Gaius, 
That's a real strong boy name right there, Gaius. Right? Or Arvid, either one, take your choice. You can have them. So, um, but Gaius is one of these guys, common name, and uh, um, evidently John knew who he was. So two of these guys were friends of Paul's, and Paul's uh, converted them on his missionary trips. And so this third one, maybe he's a friend of John's, and John knew him. Somehow they knew each other. And so John is sending this letter now to Gaius, and he wants to, to... introduce him to us. And the way he addresses the letter to him is in a warm and friendly way. And so we're going to look at the first four verses. And the first thing that we find out about Gaius is he was a strong soul. And that's, I think, what warmed John's heart towards him. Here's what it says. First four verses. The letter to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, when he says beloved, he's still referring to Gaius, okay? So every time you see beloved as we go through the letter, he's referring to Gaius. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you were walking in the truth. I I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. All right, so the first thing, did you see the greeting right there, the one that we talked about, the SBBV, whatever it is? It's right there because um, in the fact that, that John, John says that, um, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. That really is quite the compliment. Because what he's really saying to Gaius is he's saying, I wish you could be as strong in your body as you are in your spirit. Obviously, John recognizes something about Gaius that says he's a spiritually strong individual. I mean, he, he's not just kind of, you know, on equal playing level with everybody. He's not just your average spiritual leader at the church. This is one of those guys that is spiritually head and shoulders over everybody else, even though he doesn't make himself that way. Other people make the testimony about him. They see how much of a spiritual leader he is, how much of a spiritual giant he is, but there's such humility about him that he never toots his own horn. He's not saying, hey, take a look at me. Listen to my voice. I'm the voice of reason. I'm the voice of truth. He just does what Jesus calls him to do, and people testify about him. That's the amazing thing about Gaius. He's just one of those guys that you want to be around. And here's the thing. If we were to take the test today and apply what, what John said about Gaius to our lives, if your physical appearance reflected your spiritual state, what would you look like? What would your physical look like, your physical body look like, if it reflected the condition of your soul? Would you be a robust individual, strong and vigorous? Or would you be more like a tottering weakling, barely able to move? Gaius was the sort of man with whom the Apostle John could say, I wish your physical life was as strong as your spiritual one. Notice also, that John uses the word truth in these verses 
four times. He is hammering the word truth and truth, right? He's not beating up Gaius with it. I don't think he's really trying to beat up anybody. But what he's doing is he's making the point that truth is highly important. It's really of, of, of a major consequence in our lives to be in the truth. And if you were to go back and read John's gospel, you would find out that truth is one of those major themes that he presents all the way through his gospel. Remember, he's the one who recorded what Jesus said or who Jesus is. Because at the beginning of John's gospel, in the first chapter, he said, Jesus came to us full of grace and truth. So right off of the the beginning of his gospel, John is identifying who Jesus is. He's the grace bearer, but it's on a platter of truth. Or you can turn it around the other way. You can say, Jesus is going to bring the truth to you, served on a platter of grace. And those two things cannot be separated from Jesus. You can have all the grace of Jesus you want, but if you separate the truth out of it, you don't have Jesus. You have a make-believe, a phony, a knockoff. If you come at it all the time just with truth and you beat the truth and it's all about the truth and you never serve it with grace, you don't have, all you've got is a mean Jesus. And that's not Jesus. So he comes at it and he, he's, he's talking about the truth because the truth is a huge thing in the life of a believer. Remember, Um, He also recorded what Jesus said, because Jesus said, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. In other words, the truth of your life is reflected by how you live in God. And then the next thing that he says is that the truth that John is speaking about here is, is about the truth that's not only found in Jesus, but is Jesus himself. If anyone wants to know the truth, all they need to do is explore who Jesus is. Because as you will know, John um, talks, recorded that Jesus gave his definition. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. And then in John's prayer, well, let me back that up. In John chapter 14, as he is He is talking to his disciples just before he's going to go to the cross. He says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is a huge verse. If you don't have this underlined in your Bible, if you don't know where to find this, this is the verse that's going to bring you a real sense of hope for your life, especially during difficult times. Because it's right here, what he says is that the spirit of truth is going to dwell with us and in us. You remember back in Isaiah, when when they gave us the word, the prophet talked about Emmanuel, he is God, what? With us. Right. But now John and Jesus confer that it's not just God with us, because that was Jesus. He came and lived among us, with us. But now what's going to happen is as he ascends back into heaven and he goes to the right hand of the Father, he's going to send this helper, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, 
who is not only going to be with us, but he is going to be in us. But even better news, because he's going to be there forever. How long is forever? Eternity. I I want you to get the picture of this, because when we say, hey, you know, BFF, best friend forever, that only lasts until they borrow 20 bucks that they never pay back to you. (laughs) That friendship is done. But when the Holy Spirit, when Jesus, when God says forever, there's no ending on that. There is a beginning point when we ask Christ into our lives and God deposits the Holy Spirit into our lives in us. Now he's in us forever. So when you get to heaven... You're still going to have the Spirit of God in you. Wow. Kind of makes you think that maybe you should get acquainted with the Holy Spirit. Find out what He wants you to do. Uh, you know, we've been doing a lot of what He... He's the helper, right? He's, he's been here all morning long. I don't know if you know it or not. He's been here all morning long. The Holy Spirit, the helper, the spirit of truth has been here all morning long because what he has been doing is he's been helping you to declare the glories of Jesus this morning. While you were singing, he came and he lifted you up, lifted your, did you feel it? Did you not feel the spirit moving in your heart this morning? It wasn't on his own accord, and it wasn't for his glory. It was because he wanted to help you glorify the name of Jesus. That's what the helper does. And he's going to help us do it forever. That is so awesome. So we have this promise that Jesus made when he went back to his father, we'd get the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, in his great kingly priestly prayer that he prayed in John 17. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you before he went to the cross? He prayed for every person that would come to know him in faith. He prayed for us. And here's one of the things he prayed for us. John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. You want to know the truth? Don't ask me. I'm fallible. Don't ask me. Because sometimes I just don't know. You want to know what God thinks? You want to know what God wants you to do? You want to know what God has to say about a particular subject? You want to know God's heart? All you have to do is is start to engage God in His Word. And the Holy Spirit will sanctify you through the Word. Now, that's a big word, sanctify. I mean, it doesn't look sanctify, two, two syllables. But yet, it can be a little bit confusing. You might be going like, what does, what does sanctify mean? Sanctification is the process in which God keeps growing us to become holy. He uses his word to develop holiness in our lives. So guess what? 
If you're in the Word, you're on the path to holiness. You're becoming holy. You're becoming set apart, ready to be used by God. If you are not in God's Word, you have just crippled yourself in, in your relationship with God. You've crippled yourself in this world to live as God would call you to live because you are not being sanctified by the Word. The Word will sanctify you. Singing will not sanctify you. Giving will not sanctify you. Giving to the church flooring will help but won't complete the task. <laughs> God's word is the only thing that will sanctify your life. God's word with the Holy Spirit in you forever. What an awesome combination that is. So here's, here's kind of, you know, as we kind of move on with Gaius, here's the thing that I, I recognize about Gaius, is that truth is the source of spiritual, a spiritually healthy soul. God's truth is the source for a spiritually healthy soul. You want it to be spiritually healthy on the inside? Get into God's word. Gaius also showed the truth in his life. He impressed John. Um, what he impressed John with was not that he knew the truth, but that he followed the truth and lived it. There's a big difference between having the head knowledge and understanding what God's word has to say. You can memorize all the verses. You can memorize the whole Bible and have it all stuffed up in your head. But if it never makes that, that journey south to your heart, which is the soul, the center of our being, our spirit, if it doesn't move from here to here, it's not going to have any effect on your life. You will not be a transformed Christ follower. You'll be a heady knowledge kind of Christ follower, but you will not know how to live it out in your life. And that's what Gaius did. That's how he impressed John. He didn't tell John, look at, look at how great I am. He said, watch how I live my life according to God's word. Watch how I walk in the truth. And then the, the third thing he was finally is that he was generous in his giving. Verses five through six. Beloved, again, Gaius, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testify to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Now, one of the signs that, he, that a person has had a genuine encounter and touched by God in their heart is that it loosens up their pocketbook. When you have experienced the grace of God to the extent that he wants, when you have experienced all the grace of Jesus and all the truth, truth and grace in Jesus, that's what we find in Christ, is grace and truth. When you experience all of that that God has for you, the full counsel of God, all of a sudden, what you have, you realize, no longer belongs to you. You realize that God's saying, here, just give me a little bit of what you've got. By the way, I'm the one that gave you what you've got. And by the way, I'm the one that can take it all away from you. You want to see how that works? Go read the book of Job. It's a really good bedtime story to read to your kids. (laughs) 
But God's the one that gives this. And so when we take a look at Gaius, he is a man who is faithful and loyal in his giving. This means he's regular and systematic in his giving. He doesn't just give when his emotions are moved, but he plans his giving. He carries it out faithfully, continuing with the work that he has been promised. And the Apostle Paul, he warns us about what happens when we are not generous when we hang on to our money too tightly, when we think more of our money than we ought to think of our money. Here's what he said to Timothy in in 1 Timothy. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. I want you to understand something out of this passage. First of all, it's not wicked or evil to be wealthy. That's not what God's saying. Matter of fact, if you're a Christ follower and you're wealthy and God has given you a whole lot more than he's given other people, he's given that to you for his glory, for you to use it some way, and you need to check that out and find out what he's talking about. The other thing I want you to know is that it's money is not wicked or evil. It's the love, the desires, it's the heart that creates this thing. Remember, I talked about idols a couple weeks ago. Money can be one of those idols, one of those things that we put in the top-notch priority of our life. Well, I have to have more money. I have to have money, enough money to retire. I mean, you don't have to have enough money to retire. That's why you have children. You mooch off of them. That's the biblical principle. (laughs) Retirement's not a biblical principle. I'm telling you that right now. It really isn't. By the way, how do I know that? You're going like, you don't know that. I go, yeah, I do. I know that. Because Moses was 80 years old when he started his ministry for God. 80 is when he was, he was a, he was a newbie, a rookie at ministry at 80. And then his successor Joshua, guess what? He stepped into leadership and started to lead and started to do ministry after watching Moses for 40 years. He was 64, one year away from retirement when he started. I'm just saying, I've got a ways to go. You'll be paying this fool for a long time. It's really clear also that Gaius was a cheerful giver because John says he gave as worthily to the Lord. He does not want us to give because we feel we have to or because somebody is taking a special offering for a flooring. Gaius gives because he delights in giving. That's, That's Gaius. That's the guy I want to be. That's the guy God puts in the churches. I'm going to skip over verses 7 and 8 right now. I'm going to come back to those. But for right now, let's just move on. We're going to go to verses 9 through 10. And John says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. But if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, He refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So I think this is, for me, the first time in the Bible that you find the mention of what we would call a church boss. And the church boss is someone 
um, whether they have been given the authority or not, they take the authority, they run the church, and basically they tell everybody what to do. And that's, that's what our buddy here, Diotrephes, was doing. He was telling everybody, he was running roughshod over everyone. You, you know, if you're in kids' ministry, you better check with him to make sure you know what you're doing in kids' ministry. If you were running a small group, you better check with him to find out what material you should be studying in small group. If you're leading a self-help group, you better get yourself help from him because he's the only one that has it. He was that kind of a guy, and he just ran over everybody. And it's, it's you know... We're not sure who he was. He could have been an elder. He could have been a deacon. He could have even been a pastor, for crying out loud, because he sounds a lot like pastors. And it's, it's a little difficult for us to tell. But he was someone who considered his role as that of telling everybody else in the church what to do. Now, the early church apparently had a membership role. They believed in membership in the early church right here because what, what he's saying is, is that Diotrephes, when he would find somebody who was helping out these other brothers who were coming along to speak at the church, he wouldn't let them in, and he would, he would if you were helping, he would kick you out. So he's guilty of particularly four wrong attitudes and actions. One thing is, is he's guilty of slandering the apostle. I'm telling you right now, it is a bad deal to speak out against God's chosen men. That's why that's why I have a really hard time when, when, you know, if there's nothing blatantly wrong or glaring that is against Scripture in somebody who's doing teaching and preaching, if it's not really blatant, then keep your pie hole shut about them. You don't need to say anything because guess what? It's not like Jesus doesn't know. And if they're wrong, he's going to bring it on them. He's the judge, not us. And, and so Diotrephes, he was taking it under his, his belt to speak evil against not just John, but the rest of the apostles and against the apostles' teaching. We know from the other letters that the apostles required and had been given a unique role in the history of the church. They were to lay the foundations of the church. They had been given authority to settle all kinds of theological questions and disputes. It was the apostolic word that was passed along through the New Testament that we have now in the form of these letters that the apostles wrote so that we have clear understanding of who Christ is. And in the New Testament, there was this authority that was given to the apostles and in the writings of the New Testament that help us as Christ's followers to know what to do. We fall under that authority of the apostles' writings. Now, I'm going to tell you this. If there is a Christ follower who will not submit to the authority that God has placed over them, they will not submit to the authority of Christ. If you're not willing to submit to the authority that God has placed over you, you will not be willing to submit to the authority of Jesus. This guy was, was kind of a bad guy because he was slanderous and he said evil things against the apostles. Furthermore, the second thing is 
Diotrephes is refusing to welcome brethren. I said that he, when they came. What was going on is, is around the different churches, not everybody had a pastor. And so you had these circuit-riding kind of pastors who would go from town to town to town to town. And what they would do is they'd come into a town and they would preach uh, with the, the church on Sunday. They would hang around and do some other ministry. Who knows? They might stay there for two weeks, three weeks, a month or whatever. But they weren't there permanently and they'd move on to the next place, onto the next church and onto the next church and so on. And so you have these brothers who are going around and helping out the apostles by going and preaching at all the churches that have been planted. Here, Diotrephes is not welcoming the brothers who have been commissioned by the apostles to go and do ministry, who've been called by God to go and do ministry. And so they're gone. And so Diotrephes says, nope, not going to let you in the door. And, and he, he turned them aside and refused to allow them to speak in the church. And the third thing is that he puts people out of the church who have taken these men in. He's, he's, he's gone to a, a different level. It's called secondary separation. Because what it does is he's not just keeping these people from coming in, but if you entertain that person in your home and you're, you're ministering to them as they minister to the Word of God among the, the brethren, then what Diotrephes does is he says, you're no longer allowed to come here because you associated with that guy that was sent by the apostles. You're out. Doesn't sound like a church I want to go to. But I think probably of the three of those three offenses, none was as severe as the first thing that John says about him. He says the most serious problem that Diotrephes has was that he put himself first. He loved to be first, which is a dead giveaway that he was acting in the flesh. There's always the philosophy of the flesh that, that rolls on in people's life. And the philosophy of the flesh is me first. It's all about me. It's got to be about me. Me, 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 me. And I'm telling you, it's not just with the millennial generation. Because they learned it from somebody, their mom and dads. And guess who they learned it from? Their mom and dads. Because that whole me thing goes right back even further than that. Diotrephes is the kind of guy that says he wants to be first. The problem is, is that there's only one person that can be first. There's only one person that has the prerogative, uh, prerogative to be first. He has the right to preeminence, and that's Jesus. In the church, Jesus is always first because guess why? It's his church. He owns it. He purchased the church with his blood. Diotrephes didn't do anything. He's made a mess of the whole thing. And unfortunately, there are plenty of people like Diotrephes in the church today. They're always characterized by this attitude. They want to be first. They want the glory. They want to rob God of his inheritance, stealing that which belongs alone to the Almighty. They want to come in and they want, they, they're going to voice this. They're going to go, oh, brother, it's all about Jesus and me. Me and Jesus, we're like this. We're buds. But Jesus has to, you know what? Jesus is really lucky to have me. He inquires of me. I help Jesus out so much. And it really stinks the joint out. And it makes you want to throw up in your mouth, LOL. 
say you did. Now, there's this guy you probably have never heard about. He, he was a leader among the Southern Baptists. His name is Dr. H.E. Robertson. Any relationship? No? Might look it up. Good guy. He was really great. He taught Greek. So in order to teach Greek, you had to know it really well. But he wrote an editorial in the Southern Baptist Denominational Magazine about Diotrephes. And later, the editor of that magazine reported that 25 deacons wrote to cancel their subscription to the magazine, feeling personally attacked. Don't send me any resignation letters or anything like that. I don't want them. Now, uh, what advice does Gaius give, does John give to Gaius? He, He doesn't really do anything. He doesn't say split the church and start something else. In 11 and 12, he says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil is not from God. In other words, do not follow these men that want the preeminence. If you want to see somebody who is always jockeying for position in the church relationships, always wanting to be in the public eye, don't follow that person. He is following his own way and not that of God. And then there's finally this third guy we're talking about, Demetrius. And we all know of him by what John says, and that's all we know about him. Demetrius has served as a good testimony for everyone. And from the truth itself, we also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true, back to true again, truth. He is speaking here about an apostle, uh, the apostle with the gift of discernment. John has a gift of discernment, and he's saying that Demetrius is the guy that you want to follow. Here's a man you can trust, a man of truth. He has bore testimony from all that is be trusted. Evidently, Demetrius was the bearer of this letter to Gaius and probably one of those circuit-riding pastors. Now I'm going to hit verse 7 and 8 real quick. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers in the truth. There it is. Remember I talked about it at the beginning. F-W-F-T-T. Fellow workers for the truth. These words describe the first group traveling missionaries and and pastors. And John says that we need to help these people out because they're going out and doing the ministry of God that they've been called to. Jesus has called them. God has called them. The Holy Spirit has said, come, I've called you to a special task. And we have people doing that all over the world. They're going out as missionaries. And what they're doing is they're leaving lucrative positions here in the United States at their home. They're leaving their families. They're raising their kids in a different culture. They're having to deal with hardships on levels that we wouldn't know anything about because they're following the calling that God has placed upon their life. But the reason that they do all these things is for the namesake, and the namesake is Jesus. That's why in Philippians 2, 9 and 10, it says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The name is what it's about. It was the concern for the name that was underlying motivation for the traveling preachers of the first century. It ought to be the underlying motivation behind all of us who give a message, who preach to anybody that teaches, whether it's in kids' church, youth group, or small group. Anybody that bears witness of Jesus gives a word 
of testimony about Jesus should bear the name of Jesus as the most important thing. All right, I'm going to... You can read verses 13 through, 13 through 15 for yourself. It's just basically he's saying, you know, peace to you, I love you, greet all the brothers. So today, really what it boils down to for us is, who are you? Are you a Gaius who just loves the church, loves Jesus, and is going to do everything he can to promote the bride of Christ, to make her the best bride possible? without spot or wrinkle, shining. Are you Demetrius? God's called you to a special task, to do a special job under the name of Jesus, under the umbrella of Jesus? Or are you kind of a little bit like Diotrephes? Unless it's about you, and unless you can tell people what to do, unless you get the glory for it, unless you point to yourself about it, unless other people recognize your work, you don't want anything to do with it. So this morning, I don't know who you are. I know who you want to be. I know who you show yourself to be. But who are you really? Who are you really deep down inside? And this morning, you know, we, all, we have this front always open for people to come up for prayer for the elders to pray with them. But this morning, I'm not asking the elders to come and pray with you. I don't want the elders to pray because this is a thing between you and God. And, and so you either need to repent and confess your sin of being a diatrophies, being church bossy pants, being me first, me only, or you're Gaius or Demetrius. And maybe you need a little bit more of of Gaius or Demetrius in your life, and that's what you need to talk to God about. Maybe you need to confess about Diotrephes being a part of your life, whatever it looks like. And so nobody's going to pray with you, but this is, this is still open for you to come and do business with God if you want to. And so today, this morning, whatever the Spirit of God has been saying to you, the one that you're going to have for eternity, the one who is with you and in you, that Spirit has been speaking to your heart you need to respond. Amen? Our Father, we thank you that you have given us these three guys, that you have revealed to us the heart of Gaius and Demetrius. We thank you, God, that we can aspire to be like these men who, who didn't have a lot of ink spilled about them in the Bible, but yet their names are mentioned here because of their love and their service for you, because they were humble, humble men who just wanted to serve you. They didn't want the limelight. They just came to be your guy at that time. And forgive us for when we've been diatrophies, when we have taken the limelight, when we have stepped over and on you, when we have uh, stolen your glory for ourselves, God. Forgive us for that. Help, help us, as you've already said, to sanctify us, to sanctify each one of us by your word, because your word is truth. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.